All right, we're in Acts uh, chapter 6 and 7. Hey, uh, go ahead and turn there. Uh, the vintage church is marching on, pioneer, pioneering its way to not just growth, but a healthy growth. If you have a Bible, make sure you get there. We got lots of ground to cover. Chapter 6 and 7 of Acts. So, what makes a good story? A good storyteller? What makes a good story? What else? Twists and turns, surprises, what else? What's that? Action, yes. It's got to have action, right? What else? Death. A hero, yes. The basis of almost every good story is a hero. And sometimes what makes a good, and not every story, and not every good story has a hero per se, but... Every story has a good plot, and every typical movie specifically, I mean, obviously there's different platforms that tell a story, there's, there's plays or there's books, um, but obviously in our modern day, one of the most prevalent ways that we see stories told is through movies. And so uh, there's these, what you would call and what I would call genres of movies that tell of a different plot. And yes, there's death in a lot of these plots. There's heroes in a lot of these plots. There's twists and turns in almost every plot. But um, even take in the, the area of genre, uh, what I like in movies, uh, sometimes the genre I like is uh, science fiction. Um, not like in a weird way, like not the ones like you've never heard of, and, but like some of the big blockbuster science fiction movies. And, and my wife kind of pokes fun at me because they all have the same plot. It's, it's, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, these aliens are coming, and they've used up all the resources from the other planets, and here they are, they're coming to ours, and we've got to put up our guard, and, they, and then you send, like, the most bravest human that can be to go, like, be the bold communicator, and it's typically this, like, nerdy man or woman that's, like, in the, like, something in their life that's maybe not as brave, and they send them to the front lines. Like, it's the same story over and over, the same plot. But, but there's other genres, too, that, that have the same plot. I know I make fun of my wife um, in the area of, of these romance, chick flick kind of movies, right? They're the, it's the same plot over and over. It's like, oh, this girl, she falls in love with this guy who's a great guy, and he's a, a, a knight in shining armor, kind of a good dude. And they fall in love, but then out of nowhere, this guy surfaces that she loved since she was in third grade, and he broke her heart. And yeah, you, every lady in this room just laughed because you know what I'm talking about. Like you totally identify with that. And you know how the story goes. It's always the, the, the hinge in that story, in our story in life a lot of times, is the mother-in-law. Now the mother-in-law, now the mother-in-law, she, she makes everything happen because she's like, uh, she's like kind of, putting together all what's happening, and she, not, she didn't really know this guy. I mean, he's not really a knight in shining armor, but this guy you've known since third grade, why don't you talk to him? And like, you know the story. It's all 
about like a wedding and then the, the wedding happens and, and all of a sudden it's time for the bride to come and the back double doors fling open and it's that guy from third grade and everyone is like, oh, I can't believe this is happening and the, the mother-in-law is on the front going, like she's all happy, like get, you get that plot. Uh, different genres have different plots. Uh, one of my favorite genres too is, as well as uh, the rest of, of, of the world is sports movies. Even if you're like the most unathletic person and you've never played that sport, there's something about this like underdog team, this underdog person, and then the music comes on. You're like, get them, buddy. Score it, that touchdown, home run thing. Do that. Like, that's your thing. And like recently, um, I showed and introduced my boys to one of the greatest movies ever made, Rudy. Rudy. Yes. Yes, and if you've not seen Rudy, you need to leave right now and go watch that movie. It's so inspiring and it's so good. And what makes that movie, what makes that plot so good is that it's about this, it's this average guy. There couldn't be more of an average guy, a good man, a good guy who aspired since he was a child to be this great person, this great football player, to play for the team that his his is like, like the Notre Dame college football program was like so ingrained in their family that like he decided as a little boy sitting on the floor watching the game in black and white that he, Rudy Rudiger, was going to play someday on the Notre Dame football team. And the, the whole movie is about how this boy who had no chance to even do well in high school football somehow, someway fought and wiggled his into the junior college that represented Notre Dame and then because he raised his grades he was able to get into Notre Dame and then somehow some way entered on the practice team of Notre Dame and then eventually got on the team and then the coach promises that he would play one game his senior year just to prove to his father and to prove to his brother that he was on the team because they didn't believe him. And so the whole plot of the story is how like one day he finally at the final scene Rudy but the crowd filled at the home stadium in Notre Dame chanted his name, Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. And so everybody, yeah, you know, you got it. And so they finally put him in. And the game was already, like, essentially won. They were already won. And he was on defense. But he got to go in and, and do, like, two plays. And when he actually, he, um, I can't remember exactly the, the, the thing he did, but he, 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 he did something great. And everybody went crazy. Everybody went crazy because they were celebrating that he finally got his chance. Now, I would argue what makes that plot so good isn't necessarily the plot. It's that when you are watching this movie, and I'm watching this movie, we can identify with Rudy. Like, when we look in the mirror, at the end of the day, like, we just see ourselves as a regular guy, a regular girl from a small town, that dreams of doing big things and doing good in the world, right? And so these movies, they suck us in, in in beautiful and great ways because we look at this and we say, I aspire, maybe not football, but I aspire to do the same thing. All of a sudden, this great hero feels like you and it feels like me. So I would argue that the greatest stories ever told no one would argue, even Hollywood, even though sometimes there are attempts of making good 
biblical movies are lacking, but this book holds the greatest stories ever told. And they're all true. And the most beautiful thing about these stories from Noah to Abraham to Daniel to David even to the New Testament to these disciples there's something in their story that we identify with that sucks us in because every single one of those people were just regular people chosen by God to do an amazing extraordinary life altering thing They were at the right place at the right time. They were put in the game. They were up to bat. Bottom of the ninth. Three balls, two strikes. Tie game. Bases loaded. They were put in that spot. And because of God and all of His sovereignty and God and all of His filling, they knocked it out of the park. These stories pull us in. Now, I would argue today, as we begin this series of Pioneer, in the next several weeks we're going to see some pioneers of the early church, of the vintage church. As we see this, this story specifically, today our focus is Stephen. Now Stephen, um, you're going to read this story, and if you know this story, you wouldn't necessarily look at this and be like, oh wow, <laughs> what a great, he really did knock it out of the park, and, and yeah, it didn't end so well for him. And so there's this feeling that, that like for him that it was kind of unfortunate. But I would argue that today, I would argue today that it wasn't so unfortunate. It was actually life-changing. And he pioneered the way of not just martyrdom, but he pioneered the way for the vintage church to grow. And he didn't just pioneer like it was a new thing. He echoed what Jesus did just days and weeks before that, months before that. And so here we are in this story in chapter 6 of Acts. I think that there is a lot to be said about these first few several verses of chapter 6 in the area of, of where the church was at and the growth and what was happening and, and how specifically many people stepped forward and were chosen to, to serve as a deacon and they were chosen to serve in this role and, and to, to do it justice, we, what I'm going to do is, is, is we're going to purposely take uh, the, the, the depth of this first few, ver- the first seven verses and of that section and we're going to pause and we're going to take it and we're going to spend a little bit more time on it in the next couple months. So we're actually going to skip over kind of the purpose and the point of that passage. We're still going to get that. But to the point of, what, of where I'm, I want to launch off, uh, launch with this morning, is that Stephen stepped in to do something. But he didn't just step in to do something. It started with doing. He stepped in to say something. So today a lot of the focus isn't primarily on the doing. It's primarily on the saying. It's what's being said and what is being proclaimed, what is being communicated. Not just with our life, not just with our actions, but with our mouth. You see, I want to take the time this morning to identify the difference between... (laughs) 
the difference between I got to say something and I've got something to say. Think about that. There's a major difference between I got to say something versus I've got something to say. We live in a world in this moment, in this country, where everybody's got to say something, right? But not a lot of people have something to say. And the basis of what Stephen is communicating that eventually led to him being murdered, it wasn't about him. It wasn't about puffing himself up, building himself up, look what I've done. It was about God and his purpose. And that is the major difference between saying something and having something to say. So Stephen was chosen. Now in these days, verse 1, and the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12, 12 disciples, they summoned a full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. He was chosen by these guys because he was full of faith. What else? He was chosen because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And they also chose some other guys and they set them before the apostles and they prayed and they laid hands on them. Like this was, this was an honor to serve the church. This was an honor to serve these widows with the distribution of food. This was about justice. This was about provision. This was about living out God's plan. This was about what Jesus had been teaching them all along. About serving one another with the basic needs that they have in their life. Even down to the basic need of food. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. In the story, this is where everything changes. A guy named Stephen steps forward to serve. He's chosen, he's prayed over, he's commissioned to serve. Serving. He's serving in the church. He's serving in a way where he gets to take the bread and these meals and distribute it specifically in this situation to the widows, to the people that need food. He loves it. He loves the serve table. He's got a smile on his face. He is a good man. He is what you would call an average man. He is, again, like those disciples, he is the B team. He is the junior varsity. And he just wants to build the kingdom by serving. You can identify, right? This sucks of sin. We're like, yes, that's all I desire. I don't need to be like some big platform, big name, title, big like fame, fortune, nothing. I just want to serve. I just want to help people. That's the core of all of this for us. And for Stephen, the, the thing that he wanted is the thing that we can completely identify with. Is he just wanted to serve. He just wanted to honor God. He just wanted to, to, to like build the kingdom. 
By serving. <laughs> but you know, and I know, that when you serve and you're full of the Holy Spirit, and you serve and you're full of grace, and you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not just serving food. It's not, you're just not a do-gooder. You're just not a guy that's nice. You're just not a, a lady that's nice, that serves. You're filled with joy. You're filled with power. You're filled with this enormous amount of grace that every person that you meet feels it. It's consumed with it. They're like, this person right here serving me right now, they're not judging me by what I am and what I'm not. They're meeting me where I'm at. Grace. I know this is such a generic word, grace, sometimes in our culture. Just like sometimes love. But grace, they were literally meeting people where they were. Not just, specifically Stephen, was meeting people where they were. Not just in the, in the aspect of just food. But he was ministering to their needs. Their spiritual needs. Their emotional and their physical needs. It wasn't just a guy serving food. This wasn't just a guy that wanted to build the kingdom through taking care of, of just the physical needs of people. Verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And this was normal. It's just serving food and, and doing great wonders and signs. He's praying for people. He's healing people. He's praying over them. He's declaring God's grace on them and the, God's love over them. And God, He's clearing the path for these people to come home. He's clearing the path for these people to be completely changed by the gospel. And here He is. like He's just being obedient to what God has asked them to do. And because of this, it drew some attention. And then some of those belong to the synagogue. And it begins to describe in the next several uh, parts here how these guys that were part of the Jewish uh, religious council, leadership from around the world, once again, gathered together and they're questioning, hey, did you guys hear what this guy's doing? How he's helping people? How he's healing people? How he's like claiming all this amazingness in the name of Jesus. Do you, guys, do you guys hear about all that? That's not cool. So they come together and they begin to describe these, these leaders, these, these uh, Jewish leaders begin to describe what Stephen is doing and how horrible it is to the point where they planted lies. Look up down in uh, verse uh, 11. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard them speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and they seized him. And they brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say this, Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, this temple, this church. And will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. 
Stephen was confronted. Stephen was arrested. Probably not so civilly. This wasn't like, uh, hey bro, I want to see you in uh, court in five days. This was a grab, tie up, carry to these religious leaders, these Jewish leaders. I want to get to that in just a moment. But back up in verse 10, it says they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which In this plot, in this story, there's nothing more evident than tension. The tension is rising. He is being seized. He is being arrested. He is being confronted. Lies are being made, secretly instigated against Stephen. But yet, what was his response? We're going to see a long response. But his immediate response, his immediate demeanor was that of verse 15 saw his face and it was like the face of an angel. And he begins his speech in chapter 7. In chapter 7 it kind of lines out a pretty lengthy response to a question. <laughs> Stephen is the first um, long-winded preacher in the church. And uh, what he had to say is where I want to go the rest of the time. And not just what he had to say, but the purpose behind him saying it. Verse 1, it says, And the high priest said to Stephen, Are these things so? Are you, are you speaking about this Jesus? Are you repeating what Jesus said about destroying this temple? Um, and undoing the customs of the law that we've been practicing for a long time. Like, we've been doing this. This is how we've always done it. <laughs> that was the first time in church that that was declared. That, well, this is how we've always done it, right? We've all been there. This is where it started. It's no different. So Stephen is asked, is this so? And Stephen's response is long, but follow me. Stephen's response isn't just protest. It's proclamation. When We live in a world right now where everyone wants to protest something. What is the basis of that protest? For Stephen, the basis of that pro protest was God's purpose and not his own to the point of death. It was about freedom. It was about salvation. It was about history and the new reality of the filling of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus came to rescue them from. This protest of boldness wasn't about a perceived inequality, although it was a stand for all. This wasn't about slavery, although it had everything to do with freedom. This wasn't a protest to change one thing, although it was about the one who would change everything. He began to speak. And he says, in verse 2, and Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. This was his Rudy moment. This is the average guy. This was the guy that just wanted to serve. And here he is, bottom of the ninth, 
Three balls, two strikes. World Series Game 7. He says, filled with the Spirit, filled with grace, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And he said to them, go out from your land, from your kindred, and go into the land I will show you. And what he begins to do is he begins before all of this Jewish council. Here again, it was weeks ago that Peter and the rest of the disciples, they were before the similar council, the Jewish council, these religious Remember weasels? Like at the time, they're, like you could just almost hear them be like, what are you saying? Like They were like at his throat about what he was living and proclaiming and doing. And in boldness, Stephen begins to line out where we've been as a nation. The nation of Israel for him in the next, this whole chapter lines out not just the gospel, but it lines out where you guys, the council, the Jewish council, where we as the vintage church, where we as the followers of Jesus have been where we are, and this is where we are going. And he's saying through the Holy Spirit, as God's speaking through him, listen, brothers and fathers. This is not necessarily like a drop mic moment. Reverence. Above all reverence, there was a boldness. And above all the boldness, there was a power by which he spoke. And he began to back up and he began to describe what happened with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all Jacob's sons and all the tribes of Israel. And then eventually like what Moses did and what God did through Moses and how even through that redemption and, brought, and the freedom that was brought, this amazing thing was set up of how they're to worship God in the moment, in the law which was a picture ultimately that the coming king was coming to fulfill the law and to change everything. And here they are. They're days after everything has been changed through Jesus Christ on the cross. The temple, the place that they had built to worship God, was ultimately, it was destroyed. So that the Holy Spirit had been sent resides in us, and we together collectively are a church. It's not a place built with human hands. Stephen begins to describe how the nation of Israel isn't just a nation. It's just not another, it's just not another country. And you even see this to this moment, to this day. And the preservation of a nation is not just for that nation's benefit that that nation would be a blessing to the rest of the world. And specifically, that nation was a picture of the gospel. When Moses led the people out of bondage, out of Egypt, and he brought them to the promised land, eventually not through Moses, but through Joshua and these other leaders that brought them into the land, it was a picture of God's deliverance from not just for a nation, not just collectively for a people, but it was God's deliverance from your sin. It was God's deliverance from the thing that holds us in bondage. It was the thing that holds us and give us, gives us ultimately death. The thing that was brought back when Adam and Eve chose to sin. That curse carried through. The picture of Israel for them and for that nation and up to that moment was, was that God was redeeming his people. So the law was set up. And essentially, from the Jewish council's perspective, those guys, 
as they were looking in, they were just trying to protect what the God of the Bible had set up. So we can understand where they're coming from. But prophetically, Stephen was brought to the point to describe how because of Jesus, everything has changed. It's not about the law anymore. It's about grace. And grace doesn't take away the law. It actually does something better to take it away. It actually fulfills it. The grace gives us that opportunity to not just forget, forget the law and move on from the law, but it gives us the opportunity to be, for the law to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ in us. The, the, the law was never meant to save. Never. The point of the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but the law of the Old Testament, like, take your Bible and, and look at it. You're new to church, or you're new to church, or maybe not un, fully understand the difference between Old Testament. Grace and the law being fulfilled, New Testament. The law was supposed to just show us that we couldn't do it. <laughs> and so the council members to Stephen that day were essentially calling him out, being like, What are you talking about? Like, this is ridiculous. You're telling me one guy came to save us from our sin? Like, you're telling me, and he's like, yes, like, like essentially, that's what he's communicating. So the law was just, if you can imagine with me, um, a hole. A giant, deep hole. And you're at the bottom of that hole. That hole is representing the law. It's to reveal to you that you need rescue. It, it, go back to school for a second. You didn't know that, like, <laughs> I'm laughing because I always get a report when I pick my kids up from school, like, if they clipped up or down, and what that means. It's like, when I was a kid, it was always like a check mark. It was your name on the board. Yeah, that's like step one. And then you get a check mark. Check mark. And then, yeah, so that was me. But I'm hearing my kids and like how maybe they missed the mark or they get check up, which is good, I guess. I don't fully understand it. But yeah, that was, that was the point of, of the law was to say like, listen, you didn't do that. You didn't do that. You didn't do that. Now, ultimately, the Ten Commandments, they were actually, they weren't just like rules to them. It was a way of life. It was, it was life giving, actually. And what that brings to society and what that brings to a culture when those things are kept. It, it's about honoring one another. It's about honoring our creator. So like, I'm not like bashing it or like the, that the law ultimately is a whole. But what the point of that law was was to reveal to us that there's no way I can get up out of that hole. And a rope is thrown down to the hole. A rope is Grace. That rope is grace. And that grace simply does this. This is grace defined. Grace meets you where you're at. 
where you at? See, without Jesus, we're in the hole. Grace came to get us. Grace meets you where you're at, all the way down. And the power that pulls you up is love. The grip that holds you up, pulls you up, is God's love. In, in good analogy, bad analogy, I'm just trying to describe to you for them, all revealed how short they have fallen from getting out of the hole they're in. That their soul has been separated from the Holy God. And even how the temple and how the church back then and, and ultimately even to this day in Jewish culture is set up. The whole point of it is set up is that you go at a certain time of year with bulls or goats or certain animals and you have an animal sacrifice because as the Bible described in the Old Testament, blood had to be shed in order for you to be forgiven of your sins. So they had this whole religious system set up for you to deal with the whole. But you ask any Jew, they'll know it way better than us. You ask or read the Old Testament and what the law the law wasn't like, oh, well, that's the end of the story. No, the law was like, we're in a hole, but I know a rope is coming. That's what the Old Testament is about. That's what the prophets of the Old Testament were proclaiming. Like, the rope's coming. I know, it's, I know there's a way. There's a Messiah coming, and it's going to come save us. Kind of, I thought I saw a shadow. I thought I saw a rope. Okay, so I hear something's out there. That's essentially what the prophets were doing. They're like, hey, hope is coming. Help is on the way. Like the rope is being sent down. The Messiah is going to come save us. And he did. And Jesus came. And he died on the cross. And he, paid, he lived a sinless life. He was a spotless lamb. He had no sin. He died for you and me. He thought of you. He thought of me. And when he died and he rose again, he abolished death. He abolished and fulfilled the law. That was the whole point of it. And when, the Jesus, came, and when Jesus came, that was essentially this vintage church. This is how they were pioneering. Like, guys, guess what? Jewish council, brothers and fathers, I stand before you this day and I proclaim to you that the rope has been dropped. And I'm grabbing onto that rope and that rope is grabbing onto me and it's called grace and it's met me in my sin and it's met me where I'm at. And I know as a nation, we've been here and we've been there and we've been to Abraham and we've been to Isaac and we've been to Jacob and we've been to all their sons and then all those tribes and we've been to Moses and we've been delivered from this and we brought in the spread of the Red Sea and like all this private and these prophets, speaking of these prophets, Stephen says, hey guys, by the way, side jab, which one of the prophets didn't you kill? And that made them angry. See, this was the history of Israel. This was the history of the nation. Guess, listen, it was a picture of the gospel. God wanted to take these people and he wanted to rescue them. Why? So that not we never read the Old Testament or Jewish history or no Jewish culture. No. So we can look at it and be like, are you kidding me? What he did to Israel, he wants to do to my heart. What he did to Israel, even though they blat, like they, they sinned against God over and over and over, and essentially the rope was thrown again and again and again, and I grabbed onto the rope, and then I got distracted, and I let go of the rope, essentially. Jesus came by our faith in him. He's the one that holds on, not you. And his sovereign will, he holds, not you. 
It's your faith to grab the rope. And that's essentially what Peter is communicating. He's communicating that the gospel was so clear, guys, through our ancestors, through the prophets. I don't want you to miss the point. Peter, excuse me, Stephen was bold. Can you, can you imagine the boldness, the guts it would take for Stephen to say that? He, like, the tension is so high. But <laughs> it gets better. So he walks them through history. What time we got? I don't have a... How much time we got? It's eight after. Okay. Um, he walks them through Jewish history. But then he really, he goes for the throat. Like, quite literally. Um, <laughs> verse 51 of chapter 7. He says, in conclusion, <laughs> in his sermon, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you, which the prophets did, your fathers not persecute. And they killed those who announced the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. They're talking about Jesus. Again, they're calling that Jewish council, like those guys like behind the, the podium, so to speak, judging them. He's calling them up like, hey guys, just want to point out, and I know it's been pointed out a few times, but you guys are the ones who murdered our Messiah. By the way, like you're the one that cut the rope. So yeah, um, by the way. And you received the law as delivered by the angels, and you did not keep it. In this plot, Stephen had something to say about God and his purpose, not his own. Listen, this was not about This was not Stephen's, uh, like if you're, you're like uh, college basketball fans, this is like an exciting time of year, March Madness. This was not Stephen's one shining moment. This was not like, okay, here we go. He wasn't up to the plate like pointing like he wasn't guessing and telling everyone he's going to hit a home run. I bet he was full of this, this, like, this reverence in a God-fearing manner, communicating, calling these people out. But listen, he was proclaiming boldly the gospel. This is the theme of the vintage church since day one, guys, is that this vintage church... All they wanted to do and all they did was they proclaimed truth boldly. They just told the truth and they did it boldly. Okay, so if today we're sucked into the story of Stephen and we see ourselves as this average guy that God was, that we hope and pray God wants to use in, in the most extraordinary ways, as a, as a dad, as a mom, as a servant. If we see that, what does boldness look like for us? Does it mean you need to leave and go to Walmart and get a poster board and make all these signs or do all these crazy protests 
Or go to Facebook, because everybody changes their mind when you post something on Facebook if you have an opinion. Am I saying no? No! Am I saying just live it out? Live out the gospel? Be like Jesus in your actions? Yeah, essentially I'm saying that. But I'm also saying more than that. Because there's a difference between saying something and having something to say. Stephen had something to say, and he did it boldly. What does boldness look like? What does spirit-filled boldness look like? Last night, Pastor Cameron gave us four things that uh, the nature of a spirit-filled person, what that looks like. Number one, he said that it never seeks to serve to put up yourself. Never seeks to serve yourself or puff up yourself. Number two, there's no mag- magnification of self. It seeks to serve others. Number three, he said it stands firm in the faith no matter what opposition. And number four, he says it's a spirit-filled character operated in opposition and it offers grace and forgiveness. Now, how are all four of those tied together? Boldness. Doing the right thing. Being bold. Making that choice to be bold. What does boldness look like for you? It may not look like you standing in the street and filling the streets. Maybe boldness for you is the same as it was for Stephen at the beginning of the story. Maybe your boldness is stepping out to serve. Recognizing that a need needs to be met. That you see some type, as it was for Stephen, you see these ladies that didn't get the food they needed. And he stepped in and said, I'm going to serve and make sure that happens. Because these guys are worth, their needs are worth my time. Maybe for you, boldness is to stay in your hometown and not move to the big city, so to speak. I think of um, George Bailey. I feel like I preach It's a Wonderful Life. It's a, a lot. But there's this scene in It's a Wonderful Life that is so exciting to me, and it sticks out because um, George Bailey um, um, and his wife just got married. It's their, their wedding day. It's big. And he, like the whole movie, the whole premise is about how he wants to conquer the world and see the world, and right? And he gets married, and they're going on this extravagant honeymoon, and they're going to these different places. And he's like, the, at, the, at the moment, he's taken over the bank because his father had passed. And, and it's like in the middle of the, 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 the depression. And they're leaving town, like literally, like cans and strings behind the car. And all of a sudden, he looks out the window in the pouring rain, and he sees all these people gathering in front of the bank because they all want their money pulled out of the bank. And he's, he's like, stop the car. I need to, and like, we're on our way to honeymoon. Like, you know, he says, I'm going to stay. And then the whole premise as that goes on is he's like, you know what? I'm not going to go conquer and, and find and tour the world. I'm going to stay right here. For, for, for him, it had nothing to do with going and climbing and doing. It had everything to do with standing firm and what he's already committed to, with staying home and staying in his hometown and being faithful to what he was called to do. That took arguably more boldness than the other way. Sometimes our boldness isn't so, ah, jumping out of planes. Maybe it's something more simple and faithful. To be still and to wait on the Lord. 
I was in the back with sitting with uh, Quint, and I kind of missed uh, how Pastor Cameron last night defined a part of boldness, and so Quint was kind of walking me through um, that and his thoughts on it, and he was saying that, Quint was saying that boldness is not so much an emotion, but it's a decision. It's a decision. It's not like, this is how I feel, I feel so bold. It's a decision, and it's a thousand decisions of knowing what's right and continuing to do what's right and honoring God and communicating his purposes and not our own. Communicating what he desires and communicating his word and not our own pet, pe- our own pet projects. Um, he didn't say the last part I did. Um, he also said that boldness is that you know you're going to be misunderstood, but you're still living with a spirit-filled character anyways. Isn't this the story of being a Christian? Being misunderstood? Isn't this the story of like us following Jesus and living in a radical way? Is it everybody misunderstanding? Family? Friends? Coworkers? Like, they don't understand. But this isn't an excuse in our walk with God to be weird. This isn't an excuse in our walk with God to be awkward. This is an excuse for us to be obedient to what the King has set forth for us to do. Not about us, about His purpose, about His plan, about His goal. My challenge to you for Stephen, it was to speak for you. What is God asking you to do that has to do with his purpose and his will? Even it didn't end, so to speak. At first, it seems like this, this did not go according to plan. Like his sermon, like a lot of times when you, like every preacher and every teacher, every person that stands up in front of people or a group of kids, you're like, all right, this is going to be the best this is, this, is, this is it. Like, I'm excited to share our heart. I'm excited to share. And then, like, sometimes it's not, it maybe not communicated the way you want, or maybe somebody's like, whoa, you said that? Like, I don't know. I took that the wrong way, or you said Like, sometimes it's that perspective. For Stephen, he didn't get, like, a, hey, that was a great sermon today, bud. That was awesome. That was super encouraging. It was really helpful. No, this is what he got. Look at verse 54. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. And he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, in the middle of this tense moment, in the middle of him being bum-rushed, in the middle of all this this happening, he communicates, the last thing he's communicating is, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed together at Stephen. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witness laid down her garment at the feet of the young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen. And Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin 
against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. can't think of a more um, barbaric way to die than being stoned to death. I can't think of a more barbaric way for someone to be killed than to, be, than to stone them. They were so filled with rage and anger that they had to shut him up because he would not shut up. He was so filled with power and joy and the truth that he couldn't but boldly proclaim it. And even in the midst of stones being thrown over the cliff and landing on him, his response His response is grace and forgiveness. Why? Because that's the rope being thrown. That's grace. Grace is not, hey, God, these guys are killing me. They are not following the law that you should not murder someone. Like that's a part, it's in the law. He didn't go to the law. He went to grace. He's like, God, I want you even like in this moment as he's being stoned to death and bleeding out, he goes to grace. God, meet these guys where they're at. Meet them in the midst of their sin. Meet them in the midst of the darkness that they're living. That is the gospel. That is grace. That is the law in grace. That is the law being fulfilled, not abolished. That is the law being covered by grace. It's the rope. It's the sound of the rope coming down the hole for you to grab onto. That's what Stephen was proclaiming. His last words were full of grace. His last words were full of forgiveness. And he sounds a lot like a guy that he died for. Jesus. Because one of his last words were, Father, forgive these people. They don't get it. They don't fully understand And here I am, Jesus is on the cross, and nobody's more misunderstood than our king. So we're in good company when we're misunderstood. We're in good company when we look at those people that have hurt us, affected our lives in horrible ways, and we can literally stare them in the face in that moment and say, Father, forgive them. God, meet them in their grace. God, meet them in where they need you, God. I don't know what my response is, and for Stephen, his response literally was to keep getting hit with the stone. His purposes was living out God's purposes. He didn't try to fight out. He didn't try to run away. For boldness for him, it was about submission. Sometimes our submission to God is running. Sometimes our submission to God is fighting. Sometimes our submission to God is to stand firm. It's all different for where you're at and what God is leading you to do. But all in all, it was all about grace for him. His last words were about grace. Now, listen, and no matter what, no matter where you're at, listen, this is the last thing, the last point. No matter where you're at, there's always God's purposes that are about now and always about later. There's always God's purposes in your life about the immediate and then about 
God's purposes in your life about the eventual. And for Stephen, like in that moment, he passed the test. In that moment, it was about God's will and Stephen being the first martyr amongst hundreds of thousands of Christians, even to this day, who are martyred for one reason, because they love Jesus and they can't but boldly proclaim the truth. Conduit. We're no different. Maybe a different context. But it's no different. May that be our heart to throw that rope, to throw that grace, to throw that forgiveness as it was for Stephen. (laughs) I'm not sure where you're at this morning. Maybe you're in the hole. Maybe you're faced with the reality of your own sin. And you need a rescue. And you need grace to meet you where you're at. You're in a great place. Jesus wants to meet you. And we want to pray with you. And we want to meet you and help you and walk you through that. Maybe you're in a place where you just need to look at a guy like Stephen and be completely motivated for boldness. So you know what this meant for Stephen? What was immediate for him in that moment? The eventual purpose of Stephen's life changed the course of this vintage church. It changed and it gave them boldness to do nothing but proclaim louder, proclaim clearer that Jesus has come and the law has been fulfilled and grace is here and grace upon grace. And every believer, just like as it was for David and Goliath, when David killed Goliath, all those Israelites that were shaking in their sandals, when David killed Goliath, like the immediate response for those Israelites, you're like, let's get out, let's get those Philistines. It was the same thing for those early Christians. Although their call wasn't to go fight physically. Their call was to speak boldly. Their call wasn't just say something. Their call was to have something to say. And may you conduit. Maybe you're not feeling in the hole. Maybe you're in a spot where you're like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. May you speak and live boldly. The hope and the peace and the grace that Jesus has given you. Speak boldly. Speak clearly. Live it, yes, but speak it. Tell people of the testimony that God is the, what he's done in your life. Speak clearly and speak boldly. It works. It works. Would you stand with me?